Uh, we've been spending most of this season of Lent uh, looking at our spiritual health. We've been doing a spiritual health checkup. Um, I know John uh, did some stuff out of Romans last week. We're going to jump back into what we were doing. Um, and we've been looking at different parts of our body. We started with our heart, asking where's our first love? Is our first love Jesus or is it something else? We talked about developing our minds. Are we in the Word? Are we learning? Are we, are we taking a, a posture of continually learning? Uh, we talked about our ears. Who is speaking into our lives? Who are we allowing to speak into us? Our eyes. What's our vision? What, are, we, are we following the vision that God had given us or, or something else? Uh, we talked about our mouth. Are we speaking words of blessing, words of life, or are we speaking words of death and words of curses? And last time, uh, we talked about our hands. What are we dedicating our lives to? What are we doing? Now we're starting to come to an end to this. We've got a couple more body parts uh, to go. And the remaining ones can be a little bit on the heavy side, a little bit on the intense side. But this week I wanted to look at something a little bit different, a little bit lighter, and something you probably don't expect to talk about in church. I want to look at our funny bone. If you have a Bible, we're going to be start in Matthew chapter 11. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you here with us today as we dig into your word. Lord Jesus, come. Come and be with us. Allow us to hear clearly from you. Lord, let your word transform us. Let it sink deep into our hearts. Allow us to hear from you. We welcome you today. Let your word be transformed. Thank you. We pray all this in when we talk about our funny bones, we tend to think about silliness, right? That's what your funny bones is about. It's about life, it's about humor, it's about, about silliness. And, and although we talk a lot about joy as Christians, the concept of silliness and laughter in the church, in our Christian walk, for some reason always seems like it's difficult to fit in, like it doesn't make quite sense. We think about the fun stuff being somewhere else and the serious stuff being in church. You know, when we look at our lives, we, we are worried, especially in church, of what other people think of us. So we tend to become very somber and very serious in our spiritual side. We may have another side that is fun-loving and silly and goofy, but we come into church and all of a sudden we put on this seriousness. Uh, the, the current um, devotional series we're doing probably isn't helping much with that. I mean, it's a very somber, serious, intense series we're going on. But, but there's something missing, that idea of, of what joy is supposed to look like in our lives. It, it's funny, when people find out I'm a pastor, uh, everything changes immediately. I don't like telling people I'm a pastor. I, I, I go get my hair cut, and you know, the girl's clipping my hair, and she goes, so what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor, and the conversation like takes an immediate turn. You know, I don't hear about what she did last weekend. I hear about, oh, well, I used to go to this church, or, you know, my parent, and it just gets very serious. Okay, I'm going to get very serious now. I just untied my shoe. Things get really serious, and it would be pretty funny if I tripped over my shoelace right now and fell off the stage. And so that's just to seem 
what life is like. People all of a sudden get af afraid that they're going to be offensive to me. It, it feels like at times I live between two worlds, one that is incredibly serious and one that is not. I was, I was, um, I'm on, I'm back on the uh, AYSO board, and we had a board meeting on Zoom. And in the middle of it, one of the people said, "Hey, Joe, I need you to hang on. I need you to talk something. I need you to put your pastor hat on because I have to talk to you about something really serious." And I was like, "Oh boy, here we go. What did I do? Now? What, what am I getting myself?" And and half the room dropped off, and and person was like, okay, I was digging through my stuff and I found when I was confirmed, I had this weird verse that I chose as my life verse. I don't understand why I did it. What do you think? And it was a hilarious verse. It was just, and I just laughed. And I go, I don't know, maybe you had a sense of humor as a kid. And, and it's like, you know, this idea that our spiritual life has to be so serious, so intense, so somber. Oh, I forgot to give you guys. I had two pictures I was going to show you, but it's been so busy that I forgot about them. I had one picture of Jesus, a very somber looking Jesus, the one that we're used to seeing. If you guys can get into, no, I don't think you can. Don't worry about it. And then I had another picture of Jesus, the laughing Jesus, with him laughing hysterically. And, and when we think about Jesus, which picture tends to be in our mind? It's the stumble. I mean, I grew up Roman Catholic. I had that picture of Jesus. In, in all my classrooms, we had this picture of Jesus that no matter where you were in the room, his eyes were dead set on you. And it was the scariest thing we'd ever seen in our life because we knew, I knew that he had, but that laughing Jesus... Kind of weird for us. We we don't feel it, fully get it. We're, we're uncomfortable with it. And I think we have this vision of Jesus, especially from a lot of the movies that have been made about him. I don't know what the chosen one is like, but all the other ones, he's very somber. He's very intense. He speaks in this English accent, and it's just this intense Jesus. But what do the people of his day think about Jesus? What did his contemporaries carry? Matthew chapter 11 gives us a really odd picture of who Jesus was, or who they thought he was. Starting in verse 18, Jesus says this, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. But the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her. That kind of defies our worldview of Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus being a drunkard or a glutton. We can't, we have a hard time with that one, don't we? Don't we? See, but people called him that because Jesus was always with people. Jesus, if, if you read your Gospels, you'll notice one thing. Jesus liked to go to parties. He liked to go to a lot of parties. And he was at all of these dinner parties. He was always there. And, and there's this picture of him that we get that he brought life and joy to a party, to people around him. Paul tells us in Philippians 4.1, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. 
joy should be pouring out of our lives because of what has God done, what God has done for us, as well as what He's doing in us. Joy should be pouring out in every aspect we, we live, in every situation we're in. There should be joy pouring out. Psalm 126 paints this really interesting picture of what our lives should look like and how we should live. It starts like this in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. The background of this psalm is really interesting because this psalm is written in the time of captivity. They are in Babylon, but things are beginning to change for them. The, the, this is part of the song, Psalms of Ascent, which is believed this is the psalms they were singing as they were re-entering uh, Jerusalem. They were ascending up the mountain towards Jerusalem, singing these psalms. And so there is this picture. They're remembering the things that God has done for them. They're remembering the, th the joy that they once experienced. And laughter is pouring out of them, especially as they begin to see what He's doing now. Notice the focus. What is God doing? What has He done? He brings joy out. But our focus is not normally that. We tend to be very pessimistic deep down, aren't we? When, when someone, especially in the church, goes to you and says, so how are you? What's going on in your life? If you're honest, if you don't just say, oh, I'm fine. If you're honest, what's our default? Our default is normally what our problems are. Isn't it? What are our problems? What are our challenges? James said something to me today, and James, I apologize. I'm not picking on you, but this is just a wonderful example. Go to the women's bathroom, okay? And you're going to see it. It, it. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It, it, from where it was a week ago to where it is today, and James looked at me and he said, but the floors. But the floors. That's our focus, isn't it? We see the good things God has done, but then we look and we say, yeah, but, but. Sorry, James. What? What the psalmist, the picture he's painting here is that our focus should be on different things. We should be focused on what God is doing, on the breakthroughs, on the joy that's occurring. There's 14 of us in a room sitting for 125. This is hard. They, they teach you in church planting school to always sit for 80%, okay? 80%, 70 to 80% is the perfect seating arrangement. So if you have... 100 people, or if you have 80 people, sit for 100, right? Because then it feels full, but it's not full. We are seating right now for about 10%, which is depressing. It feels like a barn. That's why when we normally sit, I put out way too many chairs, but they're really spread out. I'm trying to make the room feel full. And it's so easy to look at this and say, there's nothing going on. But there's a lot going on. God has done a lot of incredible things. It's 
especially in this past week. Things that, that many of you have never seen or noticed or know about. How did worship sound this morning? Didn't worship sound really good this morning? You know why it sounded really good this morning? It's because somebody donated to the church new microphones. So we replaced our 30-year-old microphones with brand new, state-of-the-art, fancy mics. This is somebody who's not a part of our church, okay? They just felt the Lord say, microphones. God is doing something. We're sitting for 125 because five other churches felt it important to come to our house to pray and worship God. I don't know who's going to show up tonight. Pessimistic me says there'll be four of us here, plus the band. God's doing something. He's moving. He's shifting. He's changing. And I look at the lives in this room, and over the last two years, God has done incredible things amongst us. Doing incredible things amongst us. Now, the psalmist isn't just like this eternal optimist or, or the infamous, we're going to speak things that aren't until they are and ignore the reality around us. The psalmist brings in some reality, but the focus is different. Verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in Negev. Remember, they are not fully free of Babylon. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out reaping will carry seeds to sow and return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. We do go through times of trouble. We do suffer loss. We have difficulties. But there's a promise here. The promise is that our weeping will turn into joy. Our struggles will turn into worship. We have uh, friends, Dave and Anita Fredericks. They are just wonderful pastors. They pastor the vineyard in Wheaton. Prior to that, they pastored the vineyard in Oak Park, and uh, right before um, this incredibly traumatic experience happened to them, they, they both got ill, and before they knew it, they were um, they, they lost their position at the vineyard in Oak Park. The church ended up leaving the vineyard and doing all these other things, and they saw all their work kind of fall amongst them. But right before that occurred, somebody gave them the statue. It was an interesting statue. It was this picture of a sower sowing seeds and having this tremendous burden on his back as he was putting seeds down. And immediately behind him was the exact same person dancing with joy with, with grain in their hands. And I remember seeing it going, that's a weird stage. And then a few months later, everything kind of collapsed in their lives. And a couple of years later, the Lord started to redeem all. The, the people who had, who had sinned against them came back and repented to them. They were given a new position in a better place. And what the enemy tried to do for evil turned into this incredible story of good and blessing. We all have stories like that in our lives where the enemy has come in with tremendous difficulty, tremendous trial, but the Lord being with us when we get to the other side, it doesn't always look the way we think it's going to look, but it's always in a place that's better. See, the picture here is a picture of a defeated people, nor is it a picture of a people living in denial. This isn't just them thinking good thoughts until everything gets better. This is a place of faith. 
knowing that God is in control, that He's done it before and He's going to do it again. That God had promised them joy, that God had made them promises, and those promises were going to be fulfilled. And the challenge for us is that He has made the same promises to us. He has made the same promises to us that He is with us, that He will never forsake us, that He will never leave us. And it's grabbing onto those promises and living a life of faith that God's Word is true, that His promises are true. There's joy in that. The challenge is how do we actually experience that? Because it's easy to talk about it. It's easy to say, you all should be joyful. While the world around you is collapsing, you should be happy and praising God. And that kind of feels like, you know, like you're living a lie. So how do we do that? There's a picture that continually runs through Scripture, especially in the New Testament, especially throughout the epistles. Life was not meant to be lived alone. Life was meant to be lived through community. We see this picture. It's an incredible picture in the book of Acts. And we all know this one. We've heard this one. This is the picture of what the church should look like in Acts 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave uh, and to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to those to their numbers daily those who were being This is a really interesting picture of what the church was, and I still believe what it's meant to be. They spent time together, and we see that. They went to service, right? They, they went to the temple courts and met in a large gathering. But, but that wasn't the only thing they did. They met in each other's houses. They broke bread. We can read that and say, oh, well, they're just taking communion continually. No, they ate. They had meals together. They lived their lives together. They took care of each other. And in the midst of that, as they're doing life together, as they're living their lives together, do you know what breaks out? Think about it. When you sit with a bunch of people and have a meal, what usually breaks out at that moment? Joy, laughter, rejoicing. That usually breaks out at that moment. And that's something that we have to work towards. I mean, community is hard. It takes work especially after the last two years. We've gotten used to being on our own. We've gotten used to being able to zoom in and zoom out of things. We got used to our lives wrapped around the new Netflix series instead of each other. But life is supposed to be different. Community is hard. It takes commitment. But the fruit of it is joy and laughter. Look, I don't know about you. I, I, uh, the best memories of, I have of following Jesus aren't some event that happened by myself. It isn't when I was in my prayer closet. It wasn't a teaching. It wasn't any of that stuff. The best memories I have usually are around a table. 
with a bunch of other believers eating food and, and enjoying life. The Bible says when two or three of us are together, what? There's Jesus. He's with us. He's with us. You ever wonder why the single central sacrament of the church communion, the one thing that's done almost universally across the church, is about a meal? There's something there. So the question for us as we wrap up today is simple. Is your funny bone even a part of your Christian life? Is there any joy? Are you doing life together at all? You know, Paul paints a real simple picture of what life is supposed to look like for us as believers. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. He talks about love, but this is life. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Catch this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them to curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of God. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. what community life is supposed to be like. It takes work. But it's worth it. So the challenge for us is we should be displaying Jesus to everyone around us. So which Jesus are you displaying? Are you displaying the somber, stoic eyes that follow you across the room in judgment, Jesus? Are you displaying laughing? Joyful. Joyful. There's a time in life for each one, but we need to make sure that the joyous Jesus is present. Sometimes more than the other. You know, after Easter is done, in the next few weeks, we're going to return to some of the activities that we used to do. I think uh, bonfires. And I'm pushing hard for home groups to start up. And I'm bugging my wife that we need to get our house clean so that we can have people over for dinner again. It's been a couple of years and we've hunkered down really well. We've got to get some of those dust bites. But you don't have to wait on us to do something. Here's the challenge uh, I have for everyone. Between now and Easter, have a meal with someone. Have a meal with someone. John and I are going to breakfast on Tuesday. It's not that hard. There's a lot of restaurants that are open now. Have a meal with someone. Enjoy each other's company. Laugh. Laugh. 
two or more together, Jesus is there. Gather together. And when we do that, we begin to exercise that funny bone in our spiritual life. Because the funny bone is like a muscle. It really is. If you don't use it, it atrophies. If you focus on serious, somber, depressed, hard, if you focus on what you don't have, that will become the defining Focus on what God is doing. That brings hope. That brings life. That brings joy. Over the last two years, we've, we've let that muscle atrophy a bit. Time to wake that muscle back. Time to start living in joy. Let's stand up here. Holy Spirit, just welcome you. Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done in our lives over the past uh, couple of years. Lord, we thank you for the promises that you've spoken into our lives. Lord, uh, we know that you are with us. Lord, begin to restore a spirit of joy into our lives. Lord, where, where, where the enemy has put discontent, where the enemy has put um, hardship, Father, we just, we just invite you to come and put joy. Lord, you have spoken promises over each one of us. You have spoken promises over this church. And Lord, we know that the last few years have been seasons of difficulty. Lord, we know that the harvest that you have planned is So Holy Spirit, just come right now. Begin to release a spirit of joy into this church. Release a spirit of laughter into this church. Let it begin to Normally when we wrap up, I invite you guys if you need prayer to come up, and I still invite you if you need prayer to come up, but I have an assignment. Um, got 40 minutes, ladies, before the women's Bible starts. Guys, you, you have an excuse. Go, go find someone. Go make a phone call. Go turn to the person next to you or around you. Say, hey, you want to get together? I have a meal. Maybe get a couple of people together. No topic, no Bible study, no nothing. Just, you want to get together? No word. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness. May he protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again. If you need prayer, feel free to come up and get prayer. If you need lunch, go run and get lunch. Six o'clock tonight. Be here or be square. I have no clue what this thing is going to look like. It's all the Pentecostal churches plus us coming, so it could get weird. I'm pretty sure there'll be a shofar before it's all said and done. James, did you bring flags back from Florida? Yeah, but I said this 
but I'm sure they will be here. So come back tonight. We'll see you later. Amen.